I have done a very, very scary thing for me, which is to start writing fiction. It is so much easier to write an essay. I feel very comfortable writing an essay. I can write some bad poetry every now and then, scribble it on a napkin or in a journal and call it a day. And exploring some longer form fiction feels frightening. Welcome to Business School for Writers, where we help storytellers like you ditch the starving artist cliche and thrive. I'm your host, Lauren Marie Fleming, and I am obsessed with the power of stories. I've seen the way stories heal writers, readers, and whole communities. But I've also seen the way we silence marginalized voices and discourage people from pursuing a career as a writer, which is why I'm here today helping you to ditch the lies you've been told about whose story matters and instead embrace the truth that the world needs your story now more than ever. I am living proof that it is possible to build a thriving career as a writer, and I created Business School for Writers to show you exactly how you can write more, publish more, and make more money as a storyteller. Welcome to your virtual classroom. Welcome to your cheerleading squad. Welcome to Business School for Writers. Are you one of those people who has a million different book ideas and no clue where to start? It can be so hard when you've experienced so much in your life and there's so many things that you know and you want to tell people about. Maybe you want to put together a nonfiction book, but you don't even know what topic to choose. Or maybe you're like me, someone who is a dreamer and you've created these fictional worlds in your head your whole life, but these characters, they only exist in your journal. Or worse, they're stuck inside your head, just like yelling and screaming that they want out. I was totally that person. For many years of my life, I had these ideas, these characters, these things I wanted to share with the world, but there were so many things I wanted to say that I never could choose. Indecision paralyzed me. Till one day, I literally stood in front of my mirror and I looked at myself and I yelled, pick a topic and write your friggin' book already. And after that moment, I picked a topic and I wrote my friggin' book already and I've written so many books since then by simply picking the next thing I want to choose to write about, one step at a time. So, indecision is the number one way I see my clients procrastinating from making their book writing dreams a reality. That's why I've put together a free masterclass centered solely around helping you finally choose what book you're going to write and how you're going to make sure that 2021 is your year to write that book. I'll help you jot down all of your story ideas, organize and sort through them, and come up with a solid plan to write your friggin' book already. I'll answer your questions, support you through the process, and give you actionable homework that you can take into the new year and make sure that 2021 is the year that you write your friggin' book already. Join me for this live coaching session and masterclass on December 3rd at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can sign up at businessschoolforwriters.com slash choose your book. Can't make it live? No worries. Here's what you do. You go to businessschoolforwriters.com slash choose your book, sign up, and then reply to the email that we'll send you. And you can send me all of the questions that you have, and I'll make sure that I answer them live on the call. And then of course, we'll send you a replay. Stop letting indecision keep you from making your book dreams a reality, from holding your book in your hands. Sign up for my free live masterclass at businessschoolforwriters.com slash choose your book. 
and make 2021 the year you write your friggin' book already. Hello and welcome back to the School for Writers podcast. Yes, we are going through a name change. We're going from business school to writers to school for writers. That transition will be fully done at the end of the year. So in 2021, you'll hear us only as School for Writers. But right now, you'll kind of hear us both. We're transitioning through it. So welcome to School for Writers, where we are here to help you ditch that starving artist cliche and thrive. We're here to help you in every way as a writer. And that includes if you're a writer who maybe doesn't want to be quite so public these days. Maybe your writing is a bit more private. Maybe your writing is a bit more intimate. Maybe your writing just stays in your journal. And today we have somebody who used to be very public in her writing, had a very popular blog, was on Twitter, was on Instagram, very, very public in her writing, who's chosen now to be a lot more private to make it more about her and what she's doing with her life and what she wants, the stories she wants to tell in her journal about her family and longer projects, not quite so public. I'm really excited to bring you today, Jen Leva. Jen Leva is a New York City public school teacher, progressive educator, and activist writer. She's a member of the New York City Collective of Radical Educators, a Math for America fellow, and a radical body acceptance advocate. Her work has been featured all over the internet, that's how I found her, but also, more importantly for this conversation, it has been something personal, healing, and intimate that she has kept for herself. In this episode, Jen and I talk about what it's like to go from running a popular blog and Twitter on the internet for all to see, to transitioning her writing to something more private and equally powerful for herself and her community. If you've read my book, Body Love, 10 Steps to Profoundly Loving Your Body, you'll probably know the name Jen Leva from the quotes of self-love, radical softness, and community activism that I have from her in there. Jen's words have truly changed my life. She's helped me learn to love my body more. She's helped me be a more progressive person who centers the rights of those most marginalized. She's made me a much better human through knowing her. So I am so excited to share her words, these words that have transformed me with you today on the School for Writers podcast. So welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Business School for Writers podcast. Today we have Jen. Hi, Jen. Welcome. Hi, Lauren. It's so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am excited to have you. When we thought about this, I was like, yes, yes, of course, Jen Leva is exactly who I want on the podcast the week after this chaotic election. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I just read your formal bio, but I'd love to know a little bit about who you are and um, the ways in which you exist in this world. I am so many things. I am queer and fat and a leftist. I am someone who tries to exist in this world by by being kind and thoughtful. I am someone who is interested in creating change. And I think a lot of the change that happens is small and incremental. And, and I think some of the most radical and transformative change happens at the, the smallest and most intimate places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a good episode, folks. This is going to be a good episode. So I'm going to start with my favorite question to ask people who are writers and Mm -hmm. um, why writing? Because it's what helps me find a way through. Um, It's always there for me. It pushes me. It challenges me. It finds me. It's, it's how I'm able to explore. It surprises me. 
I took a creative writing class at one point and my professor was talking about how writing about what is really scary and wild and out of control can can begin to tame it. And that has been my experience with many things and part of the reason why I continue to come back to writing. I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people because we are recording this before we know what the election results are, but whatever <laughs> happens, it has been a chaotic election. It has been a chaotic time in our lives. And so yeah. I like that idea that you brought that through, like whatever happens, writing gets you through that chaos. Mm-hmm. How has reading played into all of that for you? Reading is one of the few ways where I can consistently take care of myself and find myself. I, I read books to search for to search for my story. And I know my story isn't, hasn't actually been written because I keep trying to, I keep reading all these books and I haven't found it. And obviously the answer is I have to write it. <laughs> but, but reading is how I find myself getting closer. It's also an escape. I've been reading a lot of YA fantasy lately because it is a break from so many things that are happening. And of so many things that are happening right now that suck. and it is a reminder of so much possibility in this world. And I'm reading like sci-fi and fantasy and there's like witches and all of these like made up things. And the made up things are great and fun. But what is a reminder of so much possibility is not the, you know, made up animals, but rather the, the breadth of like human expression and possibility that it is, it is the character who is like persevering under remarkable hardship or who has this like realization about her family and then it changes who she is that is that is what is deeply human and resonant and inspiring and creative and challenging more so than you know the the like future telling compass or whatever future telling compass i love that like that's what books tend to sometimes be for me as well I love that you said in there, as somebody who's constantly being like, yes, write your story, write your story, write your story. I love that you said in there that your story has yet to be written because you have to write it. You won't find a book that has it. But it does give us some kind of way in, right? Like we, you Mm -hmm. and I have bonded over stories. I like to say that Harry Potter both saved our friendship and made it deeper. And I say that Harry Potter <laughs> saved our friendship because Jen and I once did a road trip from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas and back through, through the whole Baja and Peninsula. And when we were, when it was like, we've spent a lot of, we spent just 12 hours in a car together and there's only desert outside and we think we're going to run out of gas and we're not sure where we are and our Spanish isn't as good as we thought it was and oh my god it's so hot we would just put on Harry Potter the audiobook and we would get lost in that and then I think that it also gave us this shared language as well so I feel like you and I our relationship started through writing we read each other's Twitter and it connected through writing we shared each other's work and it became deeper through the shared language of reading similar books. And that is why I wanted to bring you on today because you have this beautiful way of taking really complex thoughts that me, the um, raised by conservative Republican farmers, yet queer and fat daughter of farmers, doesn't always understand like the progressive side of things. And you have had such a beautiful way of getting 
lang- using language to make me love my body, to make me understand the progressive politics in the world, and to make me a better human, I would say. So I want to kind of go back to that beginning, go back to that first time we started interacting, and go back to what I know of the beginning of your public displays of writing. And that is the way in which you embraced your fat body on the internet. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what inspired, a little bit about the blog that you had at the time and what inspired this writing that you were doing out in the world about fat bodies and especially at a slant around like the science behind how we shame and put down fat bodies? Yeah. So I was a fan of Lena Chen's blog, Sex and the Ivy, and I had followed her adventures and I was was not interested in exploring like sexuality and an elite Ivy League campus, but I was a uh, fat biochemistry major at Columbia University. And I realized that I was the fattest person in every single one of my classes. I did not fit into the desks of some of the chair, like of some of the chairs and some of the desks in my lecture halls. So then with like, you know, pop a chair over here or take up two seats or, or find some sort of way to make it fit. But like, it was very clear in so many structural ways that I wasn't, I didn't belong. And it was so, so obvious also that like, when people were talk about the science of fat, well, I was uh, getting a degree in biochemistry and reading academic published science journal articles all the time as was like required of me for for a grade. And so I could read all of these published articles around fatness and I could explain the biochemistry as best as anyone else could. And I kind of just saw like bullshit. The, the ways in which we talk about fatness are entirely socially constructed. And as someone who was learning about science and getting a scientific education, like a very, you know, top-notch, Ivy League, blah, 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 blah. It is not something I value now nearly as much as I valued then. But like, I, I was at the apex of, of what is quote unquote, like science. And I was up there with these people who were getting these, you know, billion dollar grants and researching all these exciting things, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I understood things and I had an ability to also see through them because I was experiencing them. And I wanted to share a little bit about that. I had also been following a lot of like fat blogs and the fat blogs that I was reading were these very sweet women, but they were almost all white and fat, which is, you know, great, but married and and more straight than not. And I was just like, this is not my experience with fatness. My experience with fatness is not partnered with a man and, you know, have a master's degree and a job. My experience with fatness is still very much like what it means to be a young person and what it means to be like navigating these spaces. I think there's also something with fatness where we expect, and this is just, you know, generically true, that as we get older, we get fatter. And so we have a different understanding of someone who is 35 and fat than we do of someone who is 18 and fat. This is often why I think I was all like, it was never carded to buy alcohol. I, I was always assumed to be much older than I was in part because I was fat and we just don't expect 18 year olds to be fat <laughs> and we kind of don't know what to do with them. So I, would, I wanted to share about that, my experience there. 
and not only share about it, but kind of have an, an activist stance of like, of contributing to a larger conversation around fat activism and fat acceptance and fat liberation. It was also an important way to like connect with community. Because like I said, I was the fattest person around. So like, where do I, where do I find my other fatties? And the answer was like, not in my classes. I think I found one person who was fatter than me in all four years of undergraduate. And she was a graduate student. So we didn't exactly have like a lot of social ties in common. She's lovely, but it's a very different social situation. And so I was trying to find community and trying to find other other people who are fat and similarly like young and in New York City and just trying to connect. I think that's really beautiful because writing is how I found you and how we became friends. And I think that that you brought up a really good point there. So often when you're in a group of people and you are the only one, it is so lonely, (laughs) so lonely. And being able to writing, hey, internet, I am this, are you this too? Let's be friends. And I think that, that 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 is what social media was made for. It's not always necessarily what social media still is, but it definitely a writing, putting ourselves out there, putting your tweets out there, putting your blog posts out there allowed people like me who were also young and fat and had been fat their whole lives and could buy beer at 16 because everybody assumed that they were a 30-year-old woman, not an 18-year-old mm-hmm. woman. And queer mm-hmm. too, like, okay, there's so much out there on loving your body as it changes after you have kids and your relationship. But what about loving your body when you're 18 and everyone else around you doesn't look anything like you and nobody expects you and everyone's telling you from the moment you were born that you need to be lesser. And I think that that idea that writing is a way to find community is one of the things that I've really valued in you and the writing you put out in the world because it is always community-based and it's always activism based and it always seems to and this is my me putting my projections onto you it always seems to center those most marginalized in our community and i want to know is that because that's your life is that a conscious thing that you've decided to do or is that just um something that happened because that's how you live your life i think all of the above centering the most marginalized is something that i definitely do on purpose Uh, My day job is now as a science teacher at a public school in New York City. And so I am, I am always thinking about the students who are going to most struggle and like, what are the supports and the things that I can do to, to better serve them. I think about the, the long, long history of white and present current white supremacy in education and access to education. And I think to undo that, we need to not just acknowledge it, but also then kind of take the next step, which is to center the most marginalized and to think about, okay, the people who have been excluded, how do we, how do I intentionally invite them in? How do I make this accessible? How do I make this meaningful? How do I use the power that I have to flip the power structures at B? So that is intentional. I think about it with, with my day job right now, because that's what I do most days, but it, it has it has started from a long time ago. I think I learned, I'm not sure when I learned it, but I remember going, I remember reading a book by Dean Speed called Normal Life. And it was either in the book or at one of his book talks that I went to at like, I don't know, Blue Stockings or something, where he was talking about how if you, if your version of inclusion is to take like the next level in, 
so for example, this is what's happening. I think a lot with fatness is you're letting in the like thin, you're letting in the fat, pretty white girls. Like they're allowed to be okay now. And we can name a, you know, a half dozen plus size models who are white and very pretty and have a thin face, don't have a double chin and have a very hourglass figure with, you know, big tits and a nice ass. And that is considered acceptable and good and like huzzah we have included them but when we do that type of incremental one at a time inclusion what happens is the people who are already most marginalized become further marginalized and i he was explaining this and i was like oh shit this is real and so the answer isn't this you know one step at a time inclusion like ah yes we will we will one at a time let some people be acceptable but rather to kind of blow it all up and say that everyone, everybody is acceptable and good and worthy and sacred and valuable and necessary. And then from there to build structures, we recenter the people who are currently struggling the most and who are currently the most ostracized, who are currently the most left out, who currently have the least amount of power because it is through that inversion that we will get closer and closer to justice. Oof. Oof. I love that because <laughs> I'm just, yeah, yes, yes. So I remember um, hearing you speak, going to hear you speak at, at an event and you talking about this and it just blowing my mind up. Like, of course, the answer isn't to include, to go from having size 12 to size 16. It is having size 12 to size 40. And I remember just being like, oh, yeah, like I, I hadn't thought of that. Like I just kept thinking I have to lose weight so I can get into the plus size stores. And I couldn't <laughs> think like, what if I didn't have to lose weight to fit clothes? And mm -hmm. that alone really gave this idea of like, what if, what if instead of centering the people that we saw as normal, we centered we centered the people who were we saw as the least normal and made it acceptable and safe for them to exist in the world, then what would that do for me? Like if my friend could get clothes in size 40, then I would be able to get clothes in my size too. So like her getting support wouldn't take away from mine if only, if anything, it would help mine and in my life. And I remember you explaining it like that to me and my mind just being blown. And again, this is words, right? Words and writing. I read your writing. That's why I came to this event. That's why I met you. And I, yeah, I love that idea of that. And if anybody has read my book, Body Love, 10 Steps to Profoundly Loving Your Body, it is full of Jen Leva quotes. Like it is, <laughs> it's just, it is full of Jen Leva quotes because you were, I had been in body positive movements my whole life, but you were the first person that radicalized it for me, that it wasn't like, no, it's not about you loving yourself at this size or about you loving yourself, even if you're trying to lose weight, it's about you loving yourself, period, and everybody being included in that period. And um, it was a radical notion to me at the time, but it's completely changed my life. And so I want to kind of talk about some of those other ways in which you bring, we talked about fatness. Are there any other like public facing writing that you're doing right now that's that's I mean not that fatness wouldn't be enough but what other <laughs> topics are you like we could talk about that oh my god we could have a whole podcast on that in fact I did I used to talk about that nonstop but I'd love to know what other public writing 
are you wanting to do or conversations you want to have to build community currently, especially as we go through this kind of chaotic time? Or are you? Is this a more of a time where your transformative writing happens within yourself, not publicly? More of my writing recently has been private. I have done a very, very scary thing for me, which is to start writing fiction. It is so much easier to write an essay. I feel very comfortable writing an essay. I can write some bad poetry every now and then, scribble it on a napkin or in a journal and call it a day. And exploring some longer form fiction feels frightening. And in what I'm doing right now, it is not ready for public consumption in any way. My writing has also transformed, speaking of transformative writing. (laughs) In that most of the writing that I do for myself is in Spanish these days. I, in 2018, I did the Middlebury Summer Language Program and started writing in Spanish almost every day and kind of and have kept up that habit. Um, I've kept it up as a way to continue my like language practice and my language skills. And I've also found that writing in Spanish, which is not my first language, but has been a language that, that is the language of my family and has been around. And I have been around it for my entire life. Writing in Spanish, I'm able to connect to a different part of myself and connect to a different part of my understanding of the world that way. There are subtle changes, I think, in grammar. And I think it, it changes what and how I'm willing to explore. So I've been writing a lot about my family. I've been writing, you know, a lot of journal entries just about like, today this happened and then this happened and then I was annoyed about this and what would it have been like if when I was a little kid this would have happened instead or any number of things, just kind of letting my, letting my pen lead the way and not, not thinking or 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 stopping or ed- not editing myself, just letting my pen wander, which is beautiful. And you end up in, I've ended up in some places where I, I didn't realize that's where I needed to go. And it was so powerful and so important. And then I've also been working on some, some fiction, trying to tell the story of my family. And instead of writing it as a series of essays about like, the social and economic impacts of, of the Peter Pan program, vis-a-vis my father, for example, of of letting that be letting that be a story and letting letting the fiction tell some truths that are greater than than any facts could could tell i yeah i want to know why that's scarier for you you would think that writing about yourself for so long it would be easier for you to write fiction because then you could be like oh no it's not me i can be more truthful why does longer form fiction scare you so much because I don't know where it's going. I can't control it the same way. I can control an essay. When I'm writing an essay, I know where it's going. I know what I want to say. The best essays I write, I, I have this idea and this feeling inside of me, and I am writing the words to find clarity. It's, it's like I'm polishing a diamond in the rough, and it becomes clearer and sharper and brighter as I am writing this essay. And when I'm writing fiction, I don't know if there's a diamond there. I don't know if there's a rock. I don't know where I'm going to end up. <laughs> and obviously there's a part of me there that's still the through line, but it is so much more of a journey and it feels more like going into the cave and not knowing if there's a diamond or how long I'm going to stay there. 
uh, what if, uh, is there someone else already at the cave? Have I not met them before? Like, is there a bathroom? What's going to happen? I have questions. Is um, there cheese fries? We're going to need some fries with cheese in here. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, does Seamless deliver here? <laughs> I'm going to need some snacks. You're right. You're right. Snacks are important. I just love that you said that because I'm in my Write Your Friggin' Book Already program right now. The participants keep saying, the ones that are writing fiction keep saying, like, my characters are not doing what I want them to do. They have a mind of their own. And I think that that is something about fiction. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't really know where they're going to take me. And that I can see how that can be scary. Yeah. And yes, I don't, they, I don't know where they're going. And I think when I am trying to write about something that is important and resonant and deep to me, which is about my family and my family's story, then to give them that sort of freedom becomes so scary because I don't know what they're doing. And then I don't know what that means for me either. Mm -hmm. I'm not writing like, I think it would be different if I was writing a piece of fiction where I was told like you have these three characters and these three scenes and these three settings and go. I could totally write that and and it would be scary and that I don't know what's going to happen, but it wouldn't be scary because I'm not emotionally connected to those characters like you just invented them they mean nothing to me. But if I'm writing if I'm writing fiction but I'm I'm starting from a place of a family and a family story and family characters then what they do and how they interact with one another affects me deeply. And that is really scary. I think that you brought up something really important there that I want to circle back onto because I think this is amazing that you're doing this. And I also have seen that it has transformed you and your relationship to your family. You were writing in Spanish. You were writing in the language of your ancestors that you grew up around, but didn't necessarily weren't fluent in. Do you want to tell a little bit of like this, delve a little bit deeper. You mentioned going to learn Spanish, but I want to know what it means to you. I mean, that is such a beautiful thing, right? You are a writer and now you are writing in a different language. Tell me everything. (laughs) That is such a, (laughs) that is, I mean, I know, I know a lot of this story, but I think it's so powerful. I have a lot of bilingual or second generation people in my programs. And that is something that they struggle with is what language do you choose? And do I try to learn this other language? And I'm not the greatest in either of the languages. What do I choose? So I just want to, I want them to feel seen and I want you to feel seen. And I think that it's important for people to hear about this. So tell me where this started. Let's just hit like, okay, I'm going to learn to write in a different language than my mother tongue. Go. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I grew up speaking English. My dad was born in Cuba, so I have been around Spanish my entire life. I used to speak to my my abuela in Spanish on the phone, but like, you know, where I speak English and she speaks Spanish back at me and I'm not sure how much we understood each other, but I know that we definitely like loved each other and cared for each other. I would spend time with her and my dad's family in Miami. I remember in third grade, there was like an after school Spanish program that I signed up for. So I didn't learn anything, but I had this desire since, you know, I was first presented with it just to be able to speak this language. Um, Even younger than that, I remember playing, I used to play it like make believe by myself where I would like run a restaurant and I like made up my own like credit card machine because capitalism. Um, 
And I remember I would take orders in Spanish, although I had no idea what I was saying. I was just saying gobbledygook, but I loved it. But it was like important to me, this idea from being very, very young that I could speak Spanish and, and that was a part of me. So I took a Spanish class in third grade that didn't learn anything. And then from seven to 12th grade, I took Spanish every year, took AP Spanish, got a three or a four on the exam. I don't know. I don't remember. No importa. Took more Spanish classes in college, almost minored in Spanish, but was like two or three classes short and decided I just didn't care. I wanted to graduate. <laughs> and then I, we went on a road trip to Mexico and I realized my Spanish wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And I had spent time with my, my abuelos in Miami and wanted to be able to speak with them more. And so I decided, fuck it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to fucking do it. So I applied for and went to the Middlebury Language Immersion Program. So at seven weeks, I tested into level four. So I had a two-hour grammar class each day and then two one-hours of elective classes. So I was in a theater class where the final exam was to perform in a play, which I did. Um, <laughs> memorize lines and costumes and do the whole thing, which was remarkable. All in Spanish. Claro. So Middlebury has a language, uh, has a, what's it called in English? This is what happens when I start talking about Middlebury. You're <laughs> not allowed to speak English for seven weeks. And so I took a couple work falls, work phone calls in English. And I think I had one phone call with you in, in Spanglish. But other than that, I was- Most of ours in Spanish though. Other than that, I was speaking Spanish the entire seven weeks. And so occasionally when people, when I talk about Middlebury, I forget the English word for things because I wasn't allowed to use it. Language pledge, I think is la palabra de honor. I think it's language pledge in English where you sign a piece of paper saying, I'm not going to speak English for seven weeks. And I didn't. <laughs> I spoke Spanish. I read Spanish. I watched Spanish TV. I was in a play in Spanish. And my other class was a creative writing class in Spanish. So I wrote every day and we talked in class and did free writes and all of that was, and I wrote a short story and I wrote essays and I wrote poetry. I did so much writing, all of it in Spanish. And so by the end of the seven weeks, I was like, actually fluent. <laughs> I still mess up with grammar here and there and my vocabulary is always to be improved but there's an ease in which I am able to speak and communicate in Spanish that I did not have before. And I'm grateful for that. And so through this process, I was able to actually start writing more in Spanish and it kind of just stuck. Part of the reason why it, it, I enjoy writing in Spanish is because it feels really personal and resonant with my family. There feels like a closeness there, even though I'm just talking with myself I'm just writing to myself there's also like I said it just feels different Spanish can be like sweeter in so many ways than English can be it also feels protective I don't think and don't plan to ever get published in Spanish I, my Spanish isn't that good I think I don't have the same ear for it anything that I'm going to write right now in Spanish if it actually if it would were to be published would be so many iterations later that it just feels safer that this is not actually meant for public consumption. It's like, it's for me and it's for my family, even if they're not, you know, reading it. 
but it's a way it's it's a way to kind of develop that and and to keep the many 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 years of of language acquisition I have put a lot of time and and resources into but I feel like it's been a really beautiful way to connect with a deeper rooted form of your family, not just the family that you were able to have these like more lighter conversations with, but it seems like you definitely delve, use the language to delve into the stories of your family's past. And I think that that's really powerful, the way in which language can help you, like learning a second language helps you understand more stories. Um, And I'm always here for learning more stories. (laughs) What does it feel like to be a writer who is not necessarily publicly writing anymore. You are, you said you were a chemistry teacher Mm -hmm. and um, I really wish you had been my chemistry teacher (laughs) (laughs) because instead of sitting in the back board, I'd probably be still sitting in the back, but I'd be at least blowing things up and you'd be encouraging me. Um, Do you, I think that we have these ideas of who gets to call themselves a writer. So before I tell you whether I would call you a writer or not, do you still consider yourself a writer, even if it's mostly for private consumption currently? I think so. I'm a writer in that it is something, I'm a writer in the same way that I'm an artist in that it is something that I, I do because it makes me who I am. I don't think of myself as an artist because I'm, you know, you can buy my stuff on Etsy or I'm in the Guggenheim or whatever. Like I'm not, uh, if you want to buy my stuff, you can, you can't, I'll maybe send it to you as a postcard. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but making art is something that's important to me and I take it seriously. Even if I'm not doing it every day, it is, it is a practice that is very important to me and I, and I, and I value and I make space for and it's important to me and that's why it's an identity. I love that. Do you, I had, I asked the last person who was on our podcast, this question, Caroline Rothstein, and I'm going to ask you too, do you feel like writing within capitalism, not to make money or making art within capitalism, not to make money is in itself inherently an act of transformation and resistance? I think anything that we do to find joy, to create community, to find connection, to make ourselves whole or to heal ourselves and that exist outside of capitalism is, is radical and subversive. So for me, that can look like writing, that can look like sewing, that can look like making art. It looks like inviting people over to my home and well, when we could back in the olden times. Um, <laughs> Back in the olden times, inviting people Back to my the old year 2019. Do you remember? It feels like it's been <laughs> years. It really, it really does. I feel like, oh man, back in the day when I used to be able to see my friends and give them hugs. Yeah. So that's yeah. when that was allowed. Um, I think that <laughs> is also something that is deeply subversive. Yeah. In what ways... What are, do you have any, maybe, tips for people who might be in the middle of a transformation, which we kind of all are socially, we all are politically, we all are, literally, we're about to potentially transform power, even if we have the same president, we'll transform powers in some ways through an election. Mm -hmm. People who are going through a transformation, 
what are some of the ways in which you've turned to writing to help you? And do you have any tips that you can share with us people listening, myself included, <laughs> for the ways in which you have tapped into writing or reading or journaling, um, public writing or private writing to help trans during these transformative moments and help transform yourself and the communities around you? I think of a couple different things. Whenever I'm in a moment of transition, I remind myself that our hands are meant to extend and and like grasp. And if you stay in one position the entire time, that's considered that's considered as if like something is wrong with your hand. If your hand cannot extend and bend back, then you have then then we consider that to be something wrong with it. That is some sort of like disability. Um, and so it is our ability to transform that like makes us human. We are, we're not meant to be stagnant. I also think about this is, I go back and forth between how much I think about this because part of me thinks it's just so trite and cliche, but when a butterfly is in a chrysalis, it is literally goo. All of the parts of the caterpillar that used to be solid have completely disintegrated and it is a sack of goo. And the only way to become a butterfly is to first become a sack of goo mm. and that we are liquid and malleable and fussy and without shape. And so I think when I am experiencing these moments or different aspects of these moments, because I feel like we experience transformation all the time, um, a power, like an election is obviously a political transformation or a transformation of our like political landscape, but also so is the beginning and ending of friendships and the beginning and ending of all sorts of other types of relationships. And uh, grieving is, is a time of transformation as well. All of, and these are happening all the time. I, they are inescapable in the words of Octavia Butler, God has changed. And so I remind myself that my writing does not have to take form, that I, that in these moments of transformation, my writing is, is formless and it is gooey and it is, it is changing and it is falling apart and it's not good. And that is okay. That is exactly what it needs to be, um, that I can at another time come back and edit, that I never have to read these words again but it is still powerful for me to find the words because the process in and of itself, that process of being goo and being in the goo is necessary. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm selfish in my podcast because I just pick people that I want to talk to and hear them talk. And I'm like, here you go. Give me advice. Thank you. <laughs> and I just hope it also helps the you listeners as well. But basically I'm just selfish and I needed to hear that. I think that, Absolutely. Like we, we need to be the goo right now. We need to, to be the goo. I'm just going to be like, we need to be the goo. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like that's a really, be the goo, be the goo, be the goo is a um, slightly gross, also beautiful uh, way to end the podcast. That was- <laughs> um everybody be the goo now um that is all we can be right now is the goo so thank you so much jen if people want to connect with your writing more are you publicly writing right now um is there a space for that or are they just gonna have to wait till that amazing fiction novel that i'm so excited to read comes out i think they're gonna have to wait i have yeah i don't know where i am on the internet right now anymore yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I actually think that's really beautiful as somebody who used to be so open and out and everything on the internet always and putting your life out there. I think it's been really beautiful and also transformative and helpful for both me and the people around you. I've seen see you kind of take some time to make your writing more personal and see where it takes you next. So I think that's beautiful. Thank you. And don't worry, everybody. I will have Jen back on the internet, on the podcast as soon as that book is ready and she's back out on the internet. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Jen, for joining. I have so much love in my heart for you. Your writing has completely transformed my life and it's beautiful seeing you teach others to transform their lives through writing. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. It has been my pleasure. I hope that these words or any words that I have written or spoken can can help guide or heal or soothe. Well, on that note, we're going to say goodbye, everybody, and see you next time. Bye. Today's book recommendation is a little bit more risque, but if you know me, I love the risque. I used to be a sex writer forever, and I love talking about sex. And one of my favorite books, if you are a curvier girl and you are trying to feel comfortable and confident in your body during sex, is Curvy Girl Sex, 101 Potty Positive Body Positive Positions to Empower Your Sex Life. Try saying that 10 times fast. 101 Body Positive Positions to Empower Your Sex Life. And it is by L. Chase. And there's actually a couple quotes from me in this book from back when I used to go by the name Query Bradshaw. And I love this because it shows you all the different ways in which you can be sexy and gorgeous during sex, different positions you can be in, ways to like move your body around that if you have different abilities, you might need to change your body around. It has really fun animations. It has the gorgeous and amazing April Flores throughout it with photos. It has people of all different shapes, colors, sizes, genders, sexual orientations together in it. And all of it is a way to help you feel more comfortable and confident in your body during sex, which if you've read my book, Body Love, 10 Steps to Profoundly Loving Your Body, or you were around during when I was writing about sex or in body image, you know that I am a huge proponent of embracing your body as it is right now, right here, no exceptions. And this book, Curvy Girl Sex by L. Chase, is a great place to start if you are currently struggling with feeling self-love in the bedroom, or if you want to like spice it up a little bit. It's like the Curvy Girl Kama Sutra over here too. So once again, it's Curvy Girl Sex by L. Chase. And I, um, I just love kind of having it on my bedside stand. And it's a great book. So go out and grab yourself a copy. You just finished another lesson at Business School for Writers. Feels pretty great, right? Being one step closer to a thriving writing career. I am so excited to see how you put to use the tips you learned today. So please share what you gained from this episode in the Writer's Squad Facebook group. You can find your squad at facebook.com slash groups slash writer squad. Want even more support making your writing dreams come true? Go to businessschoolforwriters.com where not only can you find show notes and links from today's episode, but you'll also be able to explore courses, coaching, and free resources we've gathered together to help you along your path to creating a thriving writing career. Thanks again for listening to the Business School for Writers podcast. I'll see you in the next lesson. Business School for Writers is hosted and produced by Lauren Marie Fleming with editing and support from Samantha Olivares. 
All rights reserved by Las Maestras LLC. Our music is De Lejos by Ila Bamba. Check them out on Spotify. Big thanks to the team at Terrorbird and to Kristen Hozak. And of course, big thanks to you, the listener. Now put down this podcast already and go write. I'll see you next episode. Hay que mover la sangre en el cuerpo.